welcome back to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster, uh, who's a good friend of mine from the church that we attend. Um, welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. Good to have you as always. The light illumine you, good sir Verum. <laughs> yes, the light illumine us all. Uh, yeah, so that means we're going to be talking about Wheel of Time. You probably saw the title of this and you already know that, but that's okay. We're beginning the journey of Wheel of Time, 14 books. That's a lot of books and we won't do one them book all. down. <laughs> we won't do them all in a row. So we will be taking breaks through Wheel of Time because that's, that's such a commitment to do 14 books straight and you guys might get bored. Yeah, it do. should be enjoyable when that's we right. read it. We should be looking forward to it. That's right. You don't want to just read it because you feel like you have to. If you ever find that you're reading a book and you just don't like it, it's okay to just put it down and just read something down. else. That's right. That's right. It's okay to DNF a book. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you guys follow us on social media, uh, Pages of Light. We're on YouTube. You can go over there and subscribe if you want to watch the video version of this podcast, if you're listening on audio. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Goodreads, some other places as well. And you can also check out our website, pagesoflight.com. You can see our blog and uh, any new stuff that's going on uh, with Pages of Light over there. Um, yeah, so in this episode, we're going to be doing Wheel of Time. Uh, book one, The Eye of the World. Uh, so we'll just be doing our general thoughts on the book and just Wheel of Time as a series. Um, and then we'll be talking a little bit about the the main plot line and the story of the book. Um, so we'll probably try to hit the main plot points and go through the whole book, I think, in this episode. And then in, this, in part two, we'll try to do a lot of the character stuff. So we'll focus more on who each of the characters are, their personalities, um, some of our favorite parts from each of their little story arcs um and yeah that'll be the general plan um so yeah we can just jump into some of our general thoughts um yeah gabe what did you i think you said you have already read this book uh but it's been a little bit for you um so yeah what are your just thoughts on the wheel of time as a series or in the eye of the world and yeah just general thoughts so, yeah, I started reading these books like three years ago because I had a friend uh, who was into it and I picked up one and I read it. And I was like, that was good. And then I just kind of kept going through it. Um, but I'm glad that I had that introduction to it because now that we're looking at this from a more like analytical standpoint and how we're trying to dive in deeper into the material, mm -hmm. yeah, um, like it was... So first of all, compared to our other books, I mentioned this to you earlier, I just feel like you are discovering a world when you're like going through this book. There is yep. just so much new material that Robert Jordan just keeps pumping in. It's not like you get to sit and linger and like, you know, that pe the, the people are constantly moving across the geographies. You know, there's mm -hmm. different geographies, like people are in different places, hot places, cold places. They're with the yep. traveling people. They're with people who have been here all the time. Um, and it, I just feel like it is a discovery, like, you are discovering the world um, versus like a as the story is going on. So I was just very impressed by this book after revisiting it. And uh, it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast. So I got to listen to this book, I think, three times. So I'm like, 
I'm like very I, like it was that good that you can go back and listen to it and like or read it again and, and like see how like there are the little cookie crumbs that they leave for you earlier in the book that build sure. to the full story at the end. And it gives sure. you a different perspective when you know the ending of the first book and you can go back. Um, yep. And yeah, so I've read like three or four of these books and I could not tell you what happens. There are like some bits and pieces in my mind about, I know there's a little bit of the magic system we learn in Tarvalin and I know that a character gets trapped inside a box. But other than that, like I can't remember the storylines. Um, so I you're am talking, you're talking about the future back. books. Not, yeah, not the this future one. book. Those are the yeah, those are the two things that I remember from like four other books that are like around as long. So I, yep. it is a very little thing, <laughs> little yep. things that I remember. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I'm looking forward to getting back into this. Um, yeah. And yes, different writing style, and I loved it. Um, what about you, Tyler? What did you think of Wheel of Time, book one? Has this yeah. your first time reading it? Yeah, this is my first time reading it, and. I've wanted to read Wheel of Time for a while. There's a YouTuber. His name is uh, Daniel Green, um, and he's a big Wheel of Time person, and I've been watching his channel for quite a while. Um, and he's he's like a, a, the biggest Wheel of Time fan ever, and he's always praising it. But it's always been like, oh, my gosh, 14 books. That's like such a commitment. So, like, if you start it, you have to, like, you're, like, in it for, like, the long haul, you know, so... Um, and there was like some other series that I wanted to read as well. Like I wanted to read more, finish a lot of the Brandon Sanderson stuff before I jumped into wheel of time. Um, but because the TV show is coming out, I feel like, uh, it's like I should read it now. That way I kind of like get all the details before the show comes out and I'm like familiar with the world. So I'm not going into the show blind. Cause I'm one of those people who always feels like they need to read the book before any other type of media comes out around whatever, t- whatever th- uh, book it is. <laughs> I'm like a, I'm a snob <laughs> like that. Um, so, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading the other books and yeah, I did think this was a pretty good uh, start to the series. Um, it does feel a little slow um, just cause there's like, it's basically just like we start in Emmons field and then we're just traveling all across the whole world, basically like half, like half of the world or whatever, getting all the way up to the eye of the world. And um, I don't know, maybe I just didn't feel like there was like, maybe that's just more how like older fantasy was written. Cause like modern fantasy, like there's always like, there's always like a big climax that's like building and you can kind of see it coming and you're like building and building and building to this thing. That's specific event that's going to happen. Um, and I didn't really feel like this book was like that. It was more of like a, a slow burn, like a, we're going to just live and sit in this world for 700 pages. And then at the very end, we're going to have a little bit of a climactic event um, where a bunch of stuff is revealed with some of the characters. And um, but yeah, just it was like a different type of story than maybe what I'm used to with reading modern fantasy. Um, so maybe that's not doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. Maybe just not that uh, it was just something that I wasn't necessarily used to. Um, but I mean, I've read Lord of the Rings and that's kind of a slow burn as well, where there's like, you know, let's take a page and a half break and sing a song <laughs> like stuff like that. in Lord <laughs> of the Rings, if you've read those or the Hobbit. Um, so, but yeah, I think it was good. I wanted to do a quick 
sidebar though because i realize whenever this comes out it's probably been almost a month no maybe not a month like three weeks since the last podcast and that's because i had covid so i was i was sick and uh so we had to like postpone the podcast probably like three like two weeks, weeks i feel like yeah i think two weeks we had to move it back um so but yeah i am all better i'm good to go and uh yeah i'm excited to jump back into the podcast because it's been it's been quite a while so i apologize <laughs> well it's not my fault Don't. i got sick but <laughs> i'm sorry that the podcast is later than it normally is um but yeah <laughs> we're on it now and here we are <laughs> we're on it now for sure uh yeah um yeah another reason like wheel of time is probably the it's one of the uh like the essentials of fantasy or like the big one of the big hitters in fantasy. Um, so like you'd probably have like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, uh, Brandon's Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. And then you have like the Wheel of Time. And I think those are kind of like the big the big four maybe in fantasy. And then you can maybe throw in like Harry Potter or I don't know if you've heard of have you heard of Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steve Erickson? I have not. That's supposedly like another like big boy in fantasy like that's the the phd in fantasy like it's across tens of thousands of years in the history and all this stuff and oh um, interesting steven erickson is a i think he's he's either like a historian or an anthropologist or something like that um mm-hmm. so maybe after we get <laughs> i think i'd love to read that but maybe after i read some other like when I finish Wheel of Time or finish Stormlight Archive or uh, finish Game of Thrones, if those books ever are finished being written, um, maybe not. We'll see. Um, yeah. I don't know. Any other thoughts on you for you, Gabe, on just uh, uh, just the series or uh, book one? Uh, yeah, I I. I will say that I thought it was a little bit um, – I thought that they did a good job of introducing, like, there's, like, highs and lows of, um, like, the magic. I feel like the magic was interspersed. Like, every couple sure. chapters you were getting, like, uh, new magic or new enemies or new mm-hmm. things like that or old enemies that are coming back and you're seeing them in a new way um, just because there's always something that's, like – like I did feel like I was being chased by the dark one in this book. Like every time that they thought they were getting into a rhythm, there was yeah. something that would come out of nowhere or it would catch up to them and be like, ah, I almost got you. Yeah. And the dreams. The dreams oh, were and the always, dreams. The dreams were always really trippy and they were very like, they, they made you feel like scared. I thought that was, they were, they were really well yeah. done. Like if you, yeah, if you put yourself into the situation of like, you know, Mr. Bialzaman with fire and feeling like waking up with a sunburn, like because yeah. of a dream you had, like, ooh, yeah, scary. Like things in the dream affect you physically. That's like a weird, it's like a inception. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's just jump into the story. So we're going to basically just kind of go through like the different locations. Cause that's like, a lot of this book is based on like they're in Emmons Field and then they get to Barillon and then they get to 
Shadar Logoth, and then Caimlin, and then they go through the ways, and then they get to the Feldara Fortress, and then they get to the Eye of the World. So there's like these little locations that they're jumping to throughout the story, and then different things happen in each of the of the uh, locations. Um, so the story starts in Emmons Field, and um, uh, we get to see Rand and his father, uh, Tam, and they're basically just traveling uh, to the, the main town, and there's this like hooded figure that they see that's like that Rand sees, I guess, not Tam. Um, and mm-hmm. they don't really know who he is. And that's kind of like a mystery at the beginning of the story of like, who's this hooded figure? And he's like following us around because uh, his friends, Matt and Perrin also saw him as well. So it's kind of an interesting mystery there. Um, but I liked, I liked the beginning of the book just, uh, exploring like Emmons field and the, the little the little farm village and seeing um, like how excited they were for like the uh, their like festival called Beltine. I think it was what it was called. Um, right. It's kind of, it re- reminds me of like the beginning of Lord of the Rings where they're in Hobbiton and they're like just having, they're having their good time and their party and um, just seeing like how innocent the characters are at the very beginning of the story. And I assume as we go through all the different books, like the characters are going to change and mature and um, based on like how the, like what situations they find themselves in and the different events that happen in their life. And they're going to come back as like way different people. Like the hobbits did, like they left the Shire all innocent and um, naive. And then they come back mm-hmm. like these um, changed people in a way. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was a, it was a, it was a good kind of beginning to the story and very reminiscent of Lord of the Rings in my opinion. Um, I don't know. What did you think of just the beginning of the book and Emmons field and stuff? So yeah, the, um, so it's the eyeless and they are called, um, oh my gosh, the, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. Murdral, thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Murdral in the black coat. Uh, and I just want to point out the little detail that was really cool, how the cloak remains unstirred by the wind and how yeah. unnatural that would feel to be outside, like the wind is whipping you around and then you mm-hmm. turn around and then there's like how unnatural it would be to see someone who's like, clothing was unaffected by the wind it reminds me of in Stephen King um, when in the book it there's this red balloon and uh, the kids walking like in the snow and there's all of a sudden a red balloon and what the kid note like he's like there's something wrong with this balloon and it's it's drifting towards him and it's drifting into the wind and just Uh. like that impossibility of that happening Yep. gives you a sense of the unnatural and i like yeah. um ooh it, like that is not something of god like god operates sure. within well you, well you know there are miracles so god is yes. a, you know can create supernatural events but that that is one that you're like ooh that's <laughs> that is not yeah. natural that is like it's not a good. it's a dark spiritual force that's yeah against the ways of of nature and like the way things were set up to be and physics and natural law and yeah um so i just thought that was a really like i thought that was a really good little detail um that started off the book 
Um, and yeah, and I thought that Robert Jordan did a good job of building out the characters. He made their own little life there in Emmons Field. He talked about the women's circle and like how they would do the races and they'd wrestle each other at bell time. And there'd mm-hmm. never been a gleam in there before. They'll talk about this for decades to come. It's just like he does such a good job of like building out like everyone's like thought processes and you hear from like different characters he's he's okay with like writing people in for just a few scenes just to sure like make the world seem bigger um yeah. so i thought that was well done emmons field is like you said it's the very small like we're gonna start with our base characters because i mean within the first chapter we have like moraine and land show up into town and they're like oh it's a lady and her guardian and then uh, we have Nynaeve the Wisdom, she's there, and Egwene, her assistant. Uh, and then we have the three Taviran. We have Randall Thor, we have Matram Coffin, and we have Perrin Abara. Um, and so, like, when they get to town, all of those characters come together, and that's, like, our main, like, storyline is following those, those characters. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that they are all coming together in the first, like, few chapters. Um, yeah. You don't really know that that's going to be the party that moves through the story together, even though they get separated after yeah. Shadar Logoth. Um, yeah. Then so, they yeah, come back I liked at the it. end. <clears throat> and then they come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It was it was uh, good to see all those different characters at the very beginning of the story before they get together, just so you can kind of see them on their own, in a sense, and kind of get a sense of who they are as people before they um, are f- confronted with all of these super dark um, and terrible things that are about to happen to them. Because um, there's especially the the main three, like there's a bunch of stuff that just like Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Like there's a bunch of stuff that happens to them that you know like they were not prepared for like they didn't grow up in Emmons field <laughs> to be prepared for going on in this like adventure across the whole uh the whole world um yeah being chased by the dark one like it's just like it's a it's kind of like the the uh what am i trying to say like the the naive hero like learns over the course of the story and he, he has to like become the hero he was meant to be or whatever, like the destined one or whatever. Who's so there was this like dark one. There was this uh, really poor um, interview. I thought at the end of the audiobook where oh, yeah. the person asked, um, like I actually do Robert have Jordan. the audiobook for this first one. So I did listen to that at the end. I, I just thought it was like some interest. Like I thought you could go so much into more detail. The questions that were chosen for the interview where, um, like sure. I was like, ah, like it could have been different. Um, but in the first question, like, why did you decide to write this book? He was like, well, you know, like you have these stories about people going off and becoming heroes of a whole world. And they're like, sure, gov, let's go on and let's go <laughs> out on an adventure. And, um, yep. and then he was like, well, if that happened in my town, like in the country, I think I'd be like, why don't I buy you a beer? And then I'll slip out the back door. Um, and so he wanted to like write in like the motivation that would send them on this quest, not just like you're a stranger, I have no idea you, sure. who you are, but I'm going to trust you implicitly to take yep. me on an adventure through death and peril and all that business. Yeah. Um, so the Trollocs, who are like these interesting, like hoofed, like man, like huge, muscular, like half yeah. animal, half kind man of like a, creatures. Like a, 
kind of like a minotaur, something like that. That's kind yeah, of how and I then pictured they have, like, them. Yeah, and they have like different faces, um, like different animal faces. So they attack Emmons Field, and that is like the reason for them having to leave. That's the motivation um, that the you know the black cloaked figure who turns out to be a merdral that has no eyes and a scary mouth sort mm-hmm. of thing. I saw the preview on Amazon Prime. It was like uh, yeah. had this gnashing mouth. It was yep. very scary. Um, <laughs> like are hunting them and Moraine, who we find out is an Aes Sedai and uh, Lan, who is her warder, basically her protector, saves the village um, and like helps heal people. And then that's where the, the journey is going to begin is that these three who are Taviran, which means... Um, like basically they are agents of like change i want to say like they are they they say the we the wheel weaves as the wheel wills which is hard to say fast um, and and yeah and these three are like at the center of all this change that's going to happen and wherever yeah. they go like things are changing because they are there yeah um so moraine basically says like like we can protect you, we have to. We have to go. We have to leave Emmons Field because if we stay here, the Trolloc hordes will be back and they will yep. find you and they will kill more of your family. And that is where the quest begins. Yep. Yeah, and that was the whole reason that Moraine and Lan were there because they were looking for the um, the Dragon Reborn, like the person. I think there was something with the Aes Sedai where they like knew that this was going to happen. And so they were like on the hunt for these um, people that were going to be from two rivers or I'm not sure if they knew exactly where they were going to be, but um, that's why they were there. They weren't just like there for no, for no random reason. Um, They were were specifically looking looking for those people, Uh, but they just didn't know who they were. Mm hmm. And they were like they were looking within a certain age range. Yeah. Like there was lots of questions that Moraine was asking about how old people were. Um, yeah, yeah, and that is the reason that they're there. And then, um, then they set out on horses, right? And yep. they set out with Egwene and uh, Ran, Perrin, and Matt. Yep. And Matt's kind of a prankster. I don't know if we've thrown that in there. Yeah. And Perrin is a. Uh, is a blacksmith's apprentice and he has this really awesome half moon axe that has a a spike on the other end to counterbalance it like that sounds like a really cool weapon and then um ran al thor has his father's uh tamil thor's sword which is a heron mark blade which is the sign of a blade master so even though they're from this you know outskirts of the world sort of place they still have pretty cool weapons yeah I was very disappointed we didn't like get any of the Tam backstory. Like we didn't really get to figure out who he was because throughout the whole book you're like, that guy's got a heron marked blade. That must means he's special. He has uh, like he's part of a like a special order of blades masters or whatever. Um, so that like makes you think of like what was what was Tam doing like. 20 years ago or whatever like what was his whole story and what's to do with his mother because his mother because he's not he's not tam's son but uh he's the one who like took care of him essentially so mm-hmm. i'm inter- i'll be interested to see like what happens with that whole backstory and if we get the the details on tam and 
who he was before um, he came to Emmons Field and was living the quiet life. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like um, in Lord of the Rings, like the Aragorn's story where like he's a ranger, but like he's actually um, the heir to the throne of Gondor where it's like he's he's living another life because he like the life he was supposed to have, like he doesn't want essentially. Um, so maybe it'll be something like yeah, that. And that's also like Land's story too, the Lord of the Seven Towers. Oh yeah, sure. And how he, um, you know, he, I, I forget the exact details, but basically he was a king and his kingdom kind of fell apart and, mm-hmm. or he had, he was going to become a king and then there was some sort of betrayal, but yeah. And now he's the warder for Moraine, uh, and the, and a warder is a person who's like, um, kind of bound to an Aes Sedai and they are granted certain powers like extra strength. They don't need to sleep as much. They don't need to eat yep. as much. Um, and they also seem to be really fast. There was, uh, like a good description where he was like, Land didn't even seem to bother with the intervening space and just like appeared <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, I was like, oh, that was a, I like the way he phrased that. Um, but yeah, they, they have like, they're strong and powerful. The warders are. And Lan's just smart, too. He's also, like, really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they set out, and they're, um, so their their end destination at the beginning is going to be Tarvalon, which is where, like, the Aes Sedai are uh, centered around, um, because uh, Moraine wants to get them there so that they're protected with uh, her uh, fellow Aes Sedai, and then they're going to figure out what to do after that. Um, but then the plans change later on down in, uh, down the line, uh, but we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Um, so they go to this town called Barillon, and the Emmons Fielders are like, this is the biggest town we've ever seen. It's, it's amazing. Um, so just like playing into like the naivety of those characters and just like watching them like experience these new and crazy things that they've never seen before because they've, you know, been in that small town and on the farms their whole life. Um, and so this is where like some of the stuff with the, like the main plot line starts to happen. Like the three start to have dreams, um, involved, involving, mm-hmm. uh, Baalzaman, who's kind of like the devil or the dark one. Um, and he's speaking in their dreams saying things like, um, like I will control you and you will work for me and you can, um, you should just come to me and then we can rule together. Like all those things that, uh, like the devil would say to people to like convince them that the, like his plan is the best essentially. Um, yeah. And as we said before, the dreams are really creepy and, um, they're like so vivid and like things that happen in the dream. Like they almost seems like they affect things in, in the real world. Like, I think like one time they said that hit like his hand was hurting cause he got like stabbed in the hand or something like that or just things yeah, like that, that would happen where um, it would feel like it was so real that it would affect you when you woke up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts crazy. on that? Uh, yeah. Just um, I, so there's different layers of like how they, they call him the dark one. They call him Beelzebub. uh, Beelzebub. Uh, and that's like the, apparently like the Trolloc name for him. And then, um, then his actual name, which it's kind of like Voldemort, like he, who should not be named. Like, uh, they say, um, Shaitan is like his, 
his identity, I guess. And they use, mm-hmm. they're like, don't say him, like say the dark one or say Beelzebub. Beal- I'm messing that one up, but that's Bales- okay. Beelzebub. Um, yes, thank you. I uh, I hear it, but sometimes I just need to see the word. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting how there's like, like different layers and how like we call, you know, um, we call, you know, the devil, the devil, we call him like, um, the enemy. I know that in some of my Christian groups, we called him the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the father, of you know, lies. and then father of lies, Lucifer, like there's so yeah. many different like identities there. Sure. Um, and like, I don't know if there's like a certain way that we should or should not like refer to uh, the devil as like like is there like certain danger in using certain names with him? I don't know, mm. um, and that makes me curious. Now I want to go do yeah, I don't research. Know. I've never it. I've never <laughs> really looked into it, um, but yeah, I did like the parallels between Baalzaman and Satan because he is kind of like that that spiritual being who's like constantly whispering in your ear of like what you should Mm -hmm. be doing and like trying to get you to do things that he wants you to do, um, whether or not that's the the best thing for you. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was just, and it was crazy as well. Cause like the dreams that they were having were like, they were like, they were the same dreams, but they weren't communal dreams. Like they didn't see each other in the dreams, but they all had kind of the same types of dreams. And he was saying the same things to all of them. Um, mm-hmm. so because he doesn't know he doesn't know yet which one he's hunting. Sure, yes, because he's looking for um, the dragon reborn, as he has done through the cycle through the wheel of time many yeah. times before, and he uses all this demeaning language like "you worm, you will bow to me," yeah, and you will bow to me in death, or you will bow to me in life. Yep. Yeah, he's, yeah. That was that was the other crazy thing, like hearing him talk about like. I've had this conversation with you like thousands of times before. Like we've done this a yeah. million times, like over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And I think that's it's just not like a new inter- fight. It's just the fight rediscovered anew or something. Yeah, exactly. And that's like in our own history, like there's tons of things throughout history. Like it's the same like fight that's just fought over and over again in like a different way in a different time with different people. Um, but it's like the same type of um, battle that we're fighting against um, the devil throughout history. Um, so there is this story kind of takes like, um, I forget if it was like Buddhism. Maybe it was in that interview that he was saying that I think if it's Buddhism that had the idea that time is a wheel and that things repeat themselves over and over again. Yeah. Or Hindu. I forget. Yeah. I can't remember which one one it was, but it was one of those two. Um, which is like an interesting premise. Like we kind of think of time as it's more of linear, like, things don't repeat themselves well like history tends to repeat itself in certain ways but like the exact events and things um don't repeat themselves um so it's just like an interesting idea to think of time as something that's cyclical and that there's a cycle that the same events happen every um like thousand years or whatever time frame it is um which kind of makes the like the stakes feel really high because like you're trying to break a cycle that's been going on for like millennia and like how, like how do you even comprehend like breaking a cycle like that? Um, like you can think of 
like family and like generational um, things that happen. Like the saint, like the, the son does what the father did and then the same thing. And like, it's a cycle of like behavior and stuff like that. Um, like even breaking cycles like that seem sometimes impossible, but like breaking entire, sure. like whole time, like global <laughs> universal wheel of time. Like it just seems like a, a crazy premise. And like, how could you even think about beginning to, you know, break that whole process? Um, yeah, just like an interesting yeah, and thing. I think it would just be really intimidating to be on the other end of that, um, and like hearing that this has been done thousands of times. Yeah, just yeah. kind of that daunting and that pressure. Like, well, maybe I should just give in because it's already been done so many times. Why am I going to be any different? Why should I yeah. struggle? Yeah, um, but then like, why don't we just to. wait for the next cycle for the other dragon reborn? Like that person can take care of it. So <laughs> it's like a struggle of like. Like, I don't want to be the one to have to go through this, um, this trial, um, let someone else do it. Um, which whenever you're like young and naive, like you don't really want to go through struggles and trials. Like you want to kind of have like the simplest, like the path of least resistance. Oh Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then you, and then when that fails you, because inevitably will, then you will learn like, Oh, yeah. that's the way that I should have done it. Yeah. If I had been a little bit more responsible or if I had known sure. a little bit more, I would have approached that situation differently. And that's yep. what experience is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Barillon, uh, we also get introduced to the white cloaks, um, yeah. the children of which the light. I, yeah. The children of the light. Um, there was an interesting description when, Perrin um, starts becoming the wolf brother. And, oh, yeah, um, I love that. <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah, I saw that you liked that. Um, the uh, the wolf says that the people smelled weird, and the wolf mm. says like that they smelled like they were rabid. And I was like, oh, like, how, like the way he built that in. First of all, I love the, like, you were getting like life through the filter of an animal so there's no like uh there's no like bias there's no like thinking about the history of the children of the light there's no like knowing what they do it's just like my instant impression of them is they they smell rabid um and the, it kind of embodies that for uh like fanaticism and you know, like every time Robert Jordan describes the children of the light, it's like it burns in their eyes, and they're feeling very self-righteous, and they're there to root out the evil and to yep. take people down. And Matt, yep. uh, like, takes his slingshot or something, and like gets a whole bunch of dirt on them. And Rand, like, c- kind of laughs at them, and then he's like <laughs> put on the bad list with um, <laughs> Child Bayer, I think is his name, um, who we will see later. Um, after um, Perrin will meet him, and it's not a good meeting um, no. with him. Uh, but yeah, that's another group of people. And, and again, it just comes back to like every time, like you're you're going through this book. There's like the, he's introducing new ideas to you as you go through the book. Um, so yeah. um, they're basically chased out of Barillon, and Moraine like uses her Aes Sedai witch powers and like becomes enormous and like steps over the walls of the city and then she shrinks down she's like was I big did that happen let's leave (laughs) 
<laughs> like, it's like, like you what? didn't see anything. <laughs> yeah, Jedi mind trick. Yeah, you, These you are not see the nothing. Droids you're looking for. <laughs> you, you see nothing. I did. Um, I didn't enjoy seeing like all the little, little magic things that Moraine was able to do. Um, so yeah, because like um, different magics, like you just don't know what she's gonna do. Yeah, like <laughs> it's just like. She's so like he's so wildly creative with the magic system. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then now I, I'm going to teach Egwene to light fire with her, Sidine, yep. um, um, because we learned that Egwene and yep. Nynaeve are both going to be able to channel the one power. Yep. And and Moraine uh, starts teaching them on the road. Well, Egwene is very happy about it, and Nynaeve is like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen ever. And she's like, don't teach me anything. I don't want to do this. Um, she is such an angry character, and I love she it. She is kind of an angry character. She's like... She's, she's mad about everything. She comes to... Well, that, Barillon is where they, like, meet her. Well, they don't meet her, but, like, she shows up in Barillon because she's trying to get the Emmons Fielders to come back to uh, yep. mm-hmm. to Emmons Field because she doesn't want them to get mixed up in the Aes Sedai nonsense because she hates the Aes Sedai. I'm not sure if it was ever explained why she hates the Aes Sedai. Although a lot of the characters like Rand, Matt, Perrin, like they don't really like the Aes Sedai either. Um, so I think there's some kind of stigma about them um, as like a, a group that people don't really like what they do or they don't want to like get mixed up in like their stuff, what they're doing, what they're doing with like the dark one and like that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's definitely kind of like um, Tom Marilyn, who is also part of the, campaign at this time uh is a gleeman who showed up at emmons field um and he's got he's got some interesting backstory um and but he's he's with them and he's like he tells the gleeman tales and those are basically uh like he's a bard he like sings and tells stories and juggles and does handsprings and he like uh, the Gleeman tells stories about the history and he would tell stories about Aes Sedai's and Warders and the Trolloc Wars and Fades and, um, you know, so people would hear these stories and then the Aes Sedai were always kind of perceived as like unknowable and you don't know what they're thinking and they're capable of great good, but they're also like, they're also hiding half their cards. You don't know what they're thinking, even though they can never tell a lie or the lie that you hear is only what you think i don't know there's a good tam quote in there about how to not fully trust an Aes Sedai. so they all are a little paranoid about the Aes Sedai. yeah but in, in my opinion i think moraine is just she seems to be for them and like she's yeah. basically as straightforward as she can at one point she's like i can't explain everything to you guys but my goal is to get you to sure. camelin and tarvalin um that's like what i'm going to do and i yeah. think she's just very straightforward even though um, she, uh, we haven't met all the Ajas yet. Um, there's different Ajas in Tarval and like the different factions and they're yep. like, they're all, you know, budding for power in Tarval and, and, and they all have their schemes and they all want to do things. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, Moraine is like an Aes Sedai that in my book, after reading book one, I'm like, I could trust Moraine, but we have sure. not met all of the Aes Sedai yet. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get in the future books. We'll get a lot of information on, on all of that. And I think the the show is gonna include 
like a lot of things in some of the other books as well to like really kind of flesh out some of that stuff because like we don't get really a lot of the information on this Aes Sedai specifics and like what that order is all about we really just kind of get like Moraine's side of things and like what she tells us about who the Aes Sedai are um, but I think in the in the show they're going to pull in stuff from like books one through three into season one not like mm. the whole plot of all of those books but like pull in things that are revealed in the later books to flesh out the world a little bit because um, like in book in this first book it's kind of like some things are basically just a mystery the whole book and we don't even and we don't figure out you know what they are at the end of the book and you have to wait till other books to um, figure out some of those things so and I think that's really cool. <laughs> it is really cool because you're like, oh, I have to read the next books because I will never know what Tam's backstory is or who the Aes Sedai are <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's basically like he's like Robert Jordan's like, my world is too big to be bound <laughs> by one book. You will have to come back to me. Yep. <laughs> that's like um, <clears throat> I listened to an interview one time with the creator of the office and whenever they did like that first season um they were building up kind of the uh like the the jim and pam romance and at the end of the first season a lot of the people were saying like we should have them you know finally get together at the end of season one because they didn't know if they were going to get to do other seasons but the Uh the creator was like no if they want to know that story, then they have to have more seasons. So like he basically just like held his cards close and like made it so that there was such a desire to have the, the, the show continue because they mm. wanted to see like what would happen with those characters. Um, so that was, I just, that just, and made sorry, me think just of the, that. The, the mean version of that, um, which um, Chuck Palahniuk, who's done some really crazy books like Fight Club and mm. some other things, uh, he disapproved of this. So at the end of, I think, season five of The Walking Dead, they kill off some characters and it's just this really brutal murder. But mm-hmm. you don't know who he kills. You just know that someone dies. And they're uh, okay. like getting bleat, and it's like a first-person perspective, and blood's like running down their like, like eye vision, and you know that this person dies, and there's you are attached to every single person who's in that group, and you sure. just are like, who did it? And yeah. I think I think I remember Chuck Palahniuk saying something along the lines of like, that is terrible. Like he's done like some <laughs> terrible things in his book. It's just like to to leave people in that state of anticipation for sure. like months and months yep. until the release of the next season. Yep. Like he was like, Oh, that was bad. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, or like, well, like even with the Marvel, like the infinity saga, like we had to watch infinity war spoilers. The snap happens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so like all those characters are gone, but like, and that, that's how this movie ends. Like you don't get to know, well, you kind of can assume that they're all going to come back, but like, you're putting people in such a state of anticipation that they're like, just they're only, they're just thinking about what the next story is going to be and like how they're going to fix what was hap- what happened in the previous story. Um, yeah. yeah so that was th- cool. When I think it's just good lost. writing to like <laughs> put you in a place where at the end you're like, Oh my gosh. They're like, I have to know what happens next. Um, like yep. just the anticipation and the desire to, to see the people next part more. of the story. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was, as much as it might not be like fun as a reader 
to like have all these things that you're thinking about. I don't know. Maybe people enjoy that, but it just makes you like want to keep reading. Um, so yeah. All right. Where were we again? Side we quest complete. <laughs> yes. Yeah, side quest complete. We were leaving Barillon, I think. We might have to like split this into two episodes because there's so much in this book. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like it's almost, good. it might not be as big as Dune, but there's a lot in this book. Oh yeah. It's good. Uh, so yeah. So Barillon, they leave. Um, and then is that when they start getting trailed by the Trollocs and the Fade? No, there's yeah. the crossing at the ferry. Oh, that happens before um, where yeah, Moraine like sinks the ferry or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, they're fleeing and they go to Shadar Logoth. Remember that like uh, haunted city, like the oh, deserted city, yeah. which was, yeah, I really enjoyed this part of the of the story, like hearing the history. I don't really even remember. I think it was something like there was a battle here and there was a curse and um like the the curse is so bad that even the the evil creatures don't want to go in because they're afraid of it um kind of a deal yeah so that's, that's like why a good they place to hide camping out there yeah because yeah. the trollocs and the fades were on their trail and then they said we know a place that we can stay maureen and lan are saying this uh where they will not go to tread uh, yep. Well, not tread there. And so they go in and they like basically set up camp inside an abandoned building and good old Matt Coffin's like, hey, let's go exploring, guys. In <laughs> um, this, you know, he's like, such a I think troublemaker. The, he is. He like gets the white clothes all messed up. He goes and explores the city of the damned, basically. Um, and he's like, yeah, let's go exploring and find some treasure, he says. Yeah, he wants to go treasure hunting. So how'd that, work, how'd that work out for him? Oh, he found some treasure. Um, <laughs> and then um, they bump into Mordeth, um, and he's like, "I am Mordeth." And there's this pause because he expects them to like recognize who he is. <laughs> and he's like, "I found treasure, and if you help me, like you can have all you can that have, you want." Yeah. And then they go down into the bowels, and then there's all this treasure and. Um, then the description of Mordeth, uh, and he's the one who, like, curses the town, I think. Um, like, he swells up like a balloon and fills, like, the two-story tall thing. And then, like, he just, he, like, dissipates and, like, flies out through a wall. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> what Like what kind of magic? Like, he's inflating, like, a puffer fish. Like, this is weird. And then yep. they, like, run up, and Maureen's like, did you take anything? And um, they were like, no, no, we didn't take anything. And um, and she was like, did Mordeth touch you? And she's like, I need to be, I need you to be very sure that that's the name that he used. And they were like, yes, it was Mordeth. Um, and they were all explaining. Uh, and so what we learn later in the book is that Matt Coffin has grabbed a dagger from Shadar Logoth. Took and the treasure. He took the treasure. It's this ruby hilted like dagger. And what we don't know about it is that it's a cursed object and it's cursed because it was in Shadar Logoth. Mm-hmm. And basically it ties itself to its owner and it makes them feel suspicion and fear about everybody and everything. And slowly it becomes and like have no hope and have no hope. And, it slowly starts changing Matt from the happy-go-lucky kid that he was into, yep. like, um, someone who doesn't... And eventually, he even stops 
you know, almost trusting Rand when they are in Camelin. Yep. That's when the dagger has the most power over Matt. Yeah. Like he's just sitting in his room and, and he's like, he's like, I don't. And then after he was cleansed, he was like, um, like, I don't even remember getting into the city and he'd been there for days. Um, and I love, I love, and this is one of the things when I went back and read the book again, like how the language for Matt starts changing and like, you just pick it up earlier. Like, how do we know sure. what they're thinking? How can we trust them? Um, sure. And he just yeah. keeps saying these things, and you're just like, "Oh yeah, that really was a departure from like mm-hmm. the kid in the you know in, in the two rivers who, yeah, who just lives and um, you know is kind of happy go lucky and is always pulling pranks, and then he just starts um, you know mistrusting people all the time. Yeah. Um, and then there was like. Uh, there was the the darkness creature. They have to leave. Um, Shadar Logoth and M- Mashadar, I think, is this one, the one that's like uh, it comes out. At, oh yes, and it it comes out at night, and uh, if it touches you, uh, I forget if you go crazy or if you die, but you don't want it to touch you. Yeah, and um, it's like part of the Shadar Logoth curse, essentially. And um, and this is how the party becomes separated. So uh, at Shadar Logoth, this is where Matt and um, Rand are. Like yep. they jump on a boat with, with the Gleeman, yep. with Tom Marilyn after Shadar Logoth, and then Egwene and Perrin are off on their own, and then Nynaeve, Lan, and Moraine are trying to track the three Taviran, Matt, uh, Rand, and yep. Perrin. And trying to identify, and we learned that her, her little uh, Aes Sedai money that she gave to them, yeah, like create, the created like it's it's like a GPS tracker. Like I know where <laughs> they are um, at all times. And then um, Matt and Perrin end up giving theirs to the boatmaster, um, and, and she's like, "Well, I have." Sorry, yeah, Rand and Matt. Um, and then uh, when they lose those coins, Moraine can still find them, but she has to be like. In proximity, in walking distance, yeah, like in yeah. proximity to them. And Perrin, she's like, I can track him across the world with um, him having the coin in his pocket. Um, so yep. that's where our story splits, and we start having our different storylines um, with yep. the different characters from the party. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, how do we get to Camelin? So, um, <laughs> just like as did we you said, like this part um, of the book where they got to split up? Or did you yeah, like it? Or I did. Did you like it better when they were all together? Oh, I I loved I love this. I love how they were together, and then they were apart because they each had their own struggle and they had yep. their own character development. <clears throat> yep. Um. So Matt and Rand learn how to be gleemen, like how, yeah. like like they get on the boat and Tom's like, I could have made our affair with a bunch of stories, but you guys sure. paid up silver so fast, and then he's well, that's part like, of how I don't they know get. How to, that's part of how they get like passage on the boat because Tom's like, I'm a gleeman. I'm training these guys to be gleeman. So like, we'll let us travel on your boat and we'll make your crew happy or whatever. So that was like, so like they had to be like learning because that was like part of the cover essentially. Yeah. But, and, but the, the, then like they use it as their livelihood. Like, yep, and exactly. I, and that's one thing that I like about um, this book is like, 
Robert Jordan is very concerned with where people are eating and how much they're getting to eat throughout the book. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he is like, always talking about the characters being hungry and mm-hmm. like being cold out in the weather. And then Matt and Perrin, after this time with the Gleeman, they uh, they yeah. develop their talents. Matt can juggle and Rand can play the flute. Um, and then they start booking gigs at taverns and they get free food and free shelter and sometimes they even get paid so like this was a really important part of the book to be trapped on this boat and having Mm -hmm. all the you know the people watching them uh ran and matt are still having dreams the uh shadar logoth dagger is starting to affect matt and Mm -hmm. i love how in the book he just like he said like he will just throw in this one little sentence like every so often and it was like and matt touched his cloak or Matt's hand disappeared into his cloak. And it's just kind of like, you know, just those few words, like that was an indication that he wasn't trusting someone in the conversation and how like, I just love that. Like, like he was always like taking the time to get the mental mindset of the characters who are not like the primary Mm -hmm. focus, but they're always contributing to the conversation. Like Perrin looked uneasy and Lan looked like there was, Nothing like didn't have a care in the world. And he always builds in these little like one sentence things to yeah. to to make the story feel more full to me. Yeah. Um, and like flesh out the characters personalities, like how they think about situations or like how they react to certain things. I thought it was interesting I, um, hearing like because throughout the story, there's situations where like a pretty girl will smile at them or like things like that. And then Rand will think like, I wish Perrin was here. Like he knew how to, he knows how to talk to work, talk to girls. And then there's a scene with Perrin where he's like, I wish Rand was here. He knows how to talk. He knows how to talk to girls. And like, just them like thinking the same thing of each other. Like just like little interesting little things like that. It's yeah. Um, and I, and like I love how he, the, who the characters are. Yeah, I thought, and in my mind went exactly to that example where they were talking about the different girls. And what's funny is they're both equally clueless on how to interact with the girls. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, the other one does it so much better than me. You yeah. Know? But, like, how um, old are they? Like, 16? They're like eight. Yeah, I 17? thought they were like 16 to 18. I didn't yeah, know. Something, exactly. something like that. Which, yeah, usually when you're that age, like, you don't know, you don't know anything about, like, dating or, like, any kind of stuff like that. So. Well, and then they were just like, you know, they were they were all farm boys, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they didn't live in a city. They didn't go to like dances and yeah. you know. They weren't in ta- the like tavern. in like really populous taverns where they would meet new people probably a lot. Like they don't they, know they don't they have knew like the hundred people skills. that lived in their town. Yeah, and that exactly. Was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, One thing was. So, what did you think about the boat trip? Yeah, the, I thought I thought the boat trip was cool. Um, I, yeah, I just enjoyed like seeing them because it's part of like, it's the story is kind of like a coming of age story as well with like the with Rand, Matt, and Perrin like, the young naive people going into adventure and then they become the people who they were born to be or whatever kind of thing. So, like just seeing them progress as characters was um, was really cool and especially the stuff with Perrin with the wolves. Like I thought that whole like side quest thing was super interesting. Um, and I really enjoyed like. That well, do you want you want to go into it because I mean that's how they get to Camelin. Sure, he's, yeah. He's got to go meet Elias. I wanted, to, I wanted to mention though, like the the dagger that uh, Matt has. I think that's a pretty pretty big uh, parallel with like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where how it's like 
slowly mm. corrupts the ring slowly corrupts Frodo throughout the story until he turns on his best friend Samwise Gamgee who has been with him through the whole story through thick uh, and thin okay. kind of a thing and like and if you know Moraine hadn't come and fixed that issue and like got the curse away from um from map although she didn't fully get it away but she just kind of like temporarily fixed it um but like yeah that kind of it would have resulted like in the, the same kind of situation left, where like like matt would have maybe tried to attack rand or like leave or like yeah he could have done a bunch of stuff if that um would have gone sure. unfixed um and i think that's a good parallel as well for like sin to try to bring up bring up like a christian worldview perspective since that's what we try to do in this podcast um <laughs> like just like letting like this dagger can kind of represent like sin in your life. And if you let it like fester and you like, you don't deal with your unresolved sin or you don't try to um, combat it or you don't try to uh, change your ways. Like you can just continually get, go make you go down a path that is like increasingly terrible. Like it might start small at the beginning, like just small little white lies or little sins here or there. And then if, but if you don't, keep it in check then it becomes bigger lies and bigger sins and bigger actions that are more and more harmful to yourself or to people around you um so i think that's just like a good i thought thought it was an interesting parallel with with lord of the rings with the ring and then also with just sin in our life um so like yeah just i think the uh, dagger was just a really cool really cool part of the story yeah and to build off what you said um yeah with sin and it's also like, you know, the, if if gone on check, sin can kind of like get bigger and bigger, but it also can just remain the same. And it's also sure. about like that persistence. Like, yep. so when you are sinning, sinning is separation from God. And there are little sins, you know, like telling a white lie. And there are other sins like committing murder or killing somebody. And they are both separations from God which is what yep. sin is. And then like the magnitude is um, something that is important as well. Um, all sins can be forgiven. We, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ and he can save us. Um, mm-hmm. And, but also like the little sins can also build up. Like I'm thinking about relationships. Jenna and I are doing um, our re-engage marriage group. We are in um, the 14th week. It's kind of a marathon. Uh, we have 16 <laughs> Just like weeks this book. of it just like this book. Um, and we shared our marriage story, um, just this past week. And we had, um, talked about some of the sin patterns that we had and, um, and like some of like that come from our, our parents and stuff. And we, we really like touched a bunch of people. Uh, we got several people just saying how much they identified with our story and, uh, just to, to bring it all together, like, just like, the only way to know when you're sinning is to get into the word and to understand what God wants for your life and to search the Bible for truth mm-hmm. um, and the way that you should act. Because most of the time, the way that we act is not the way the Bible wants us to act. And the Bible is not hard or it is not. The thing that the Bible asks you to do are simple yeah. things, but sometimes it is hard to commit yeah. to doing simple things again and again and again. Um, but it's about that. Um, it's, you know, sin is about choice. And yep. like sometimes you just default into a sin pattern 
because you don't even realize you're making the choice to fall into it. And I think the only way to do that is um, to change your, your life is to pray to God and to um, mm-hmm. dig into the Bible and, and identify truth and yep. say, like, this verse is telling me that the way that I treat this person or the way that I react to the situation is wrong, and I need to change that in myself. Um, and I think that a lot of times people just have patterns of behavior and they mm-hmm. don't question where they came from, why yep. they do it, and it just perpetuates. Um, yep. And I think it's a really good thing for us to do is to explore the Bible and find ways to challenge ourselves to be better and to do yep. less sinning. Yep. Yeah, and it's so hard to do the simple things that the Bible says because of our sin nature, like our default pull is towards our sin and not towards what the Bible says. Right. So like the the things the Bible says seem like they're just simple principles, but like to how you act those out and how you accomplish those can be really difficult because there's people around us that are doing things that we might not like, or there's, you know, like we're selfish (laughs) generally. And like, we want what's best for us. Like we don't in general, we don't want what's best for other people. We want to do what we want to do. And, um, yep. like that's the most important thing to us, like our own life. Right. So like even in marriages or Choosing like if you have kids or the biggest sin. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And I mean, in this story you see like Matt, like him, he just wants, he's just concerned about like his own well being. Like he doesn't want to, like when he gets to Camelin, and we kind of really see this, like he just sits up in his room and he's all by himself and he doesn't want to go with Rand and he doesn't want to help find the other people. And he doesn't want to do anything else. He just wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to lay in bed and be a bum or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so like he's in that moment, like he's just consumed by like his selfishness and his, um, like his, he's consumed by like his sin nature. If we're using like the dagger as like a parallel to sin, um, so yeah yeah and and that is not a knock at anyone who is like has like a mental um mental illness where they like they can't be motivated and they are depressed like those are separate issues from what we're talking about yes um we're just identifying like the the pride that usually is present in sinning that like we want things our way and to do it the things that we want to do and other people come second or third or fourth (laughs) yeah yeah another side quest complete okay <laughs> all right no. you're gonna tell us about uh the adventure uh adventures of Perrin and Egwene with the traveling people and Elias because you like that part of the book yeah that was a, uh, I enjoyed that little this little quest with Egwene and uh Perrin um and I, yeah I liked the meeting them meeting Elias and this kind of guy with these wolves around him and he kind of um he basically like he's been like following them essentially for a while and then they finally meet him and he's like oh yeah i've been watching you guys making sure you don't die (laughs) essentially and so like he decides to like help them on their journey because they're trying to get to i don't did they decide that they want to get they were trying to get all the way to camelin i'm trying to remember because i think when they whenever they all got split up they were trying to figure out like okay do we go to um, up to Whitebridge because that's where they were originally going, or do we just keep going over here and then we'll yeah, meet up? I with think them it later, was like or... Whitebridge then Camelin. I think that was the path that they were going to take. Whitebridge yeah. then. Then, then they started going like cross country essentially, so they didn't where they weren't on the road. I think to kind of avoid um, 
attention because they didn't want to get caught by the all and Elias was like, and, yeah, you could travel 100 miles in this direction that you're <laughs> yeah. taking and never come across another human being. Yeah. <laughs> they were like severely, their sense of yeah, direction I mean, because Perrin was just like, up. I I looked at a map one time when I was a kid. <laughs> I'll set the direction, you know, again, like yeah. totally like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I got this. Like, we're going to go this direction because I remember yeah. this. And Elias is just like, you're you're on, you know, a journey of death. Because you're just gonna walk into the yeah. wilderness for a hundred miles, just the two of you. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, and then they meet the traveling people and the way of the leaf. Yeah. Thou shalt cause no harm to another yeah. human. There is no reason to. I can't believe you carry that axe around with you, Paranabara. But we're gonna mm-hmm. have our little girls dance and make you feel blushing feelings in your face while they dance and Egwene is eating it up and she yep. loves the way of the leaf and um yep. and I'm trying to remember yeah, they're the, also called the I'm trying tinkers. to remember the 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 boy that cuz I think there was a boy in that group that was like oh yeah there soft was a boy. Egwene, and he didn't want her to leave she want he wanted her to stay and stuff so this is this is where we kind of get like the like parent seeing the girls on the he's like I wish Rand was here cuz he would know what to do um, but mm-hmm. Rand doesn't have a clue either. So, but parent doesn't know that, I guess. But yeah, I think it was just cool. Like hearing the, the story of the, um, of these traveling people and they were all like all the different, like they would be dancing and all these songs and it just seems like they're, um, they're just like a very like fun group and they're just about, um, like living and life and being happy and, um, they're pacifists, of course, and they have, they don't want to do any violence to anybody. Um, one of my uh, quotes that I have in here that I really enjoyed uh, was, uh, it was said by, I think it's, the character's name was Rayan. I don't remember who that was. He's, I think he's the leader of the uh, Oh, was he the leader the of the traveling people? people? But he says, um, violence harms the one who does it as much as the one who receives it. I thought that was just very profound because whenever you're doing violence to somebody else, like you're hurting them physically. So like if you murder somebody like that person is dead, but then you're also doing violence against your own soul, like internally, like what that does to your mind. And um, like, it could just like eat you up on the inside. Um, And like, that's, that's like a spiritual spiritual violence in a sense like you're destroying a part of yourself it's like in um like in harry potter whenever voldemort makes the horcruxes like you have to murder somebody to pull like pull a piece of your soul apart and store it somewhere else like the process of murder and violence is a process of like ripping your soul into two pieces essentially um so yeah i think that was just a very interesting and like profound statement of like yeah, you can do violence to people, but like you're going to ha- you're going to have just as much like it's going to hurt you just as much as maybe the person that you're doing the violence against because it like hardens your heart to violence and it makes you want to probably like do it more or um yeah, there could be a lot of applications to that. Yeah, I think it's like also like, you know, it's polluting your soul and it yes. like pollutes your ability to um to, to bring goodness to other people because it's, you know, sin is a perversion of the true way of life um, that God wants us to live. And, um, 
you're putting on blinders when you commit sin and it's warping your your vision and it's not keeping you centered on the eye of um you know on what god wants us to do with our life and yeah it it can pollute your soul and if you don't like we said earlier if you don't take time to correct it it will just continue to pollute it yeah yes indeed and that guy's name is aram and he dances like a bird isn't that what you said, Egwene? Whose name was Aram? Oh, that was that was the boy that she was interested in. That was the yeah, that was the boy interest who was all about Egwene and yeah. trying to get her to become part of the. Was that the, the son of people. the leader? I think. I I think so. Yeah, because um, I think the leader's wife was unhappy with. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> with him, crushing on Egwene. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm watching you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and so then they take their leave of the traveling people, and Elias is just like, I'll know when it's time. And then he tells them it's time, and they, they leave. Yep. Um, and they are traveling once again through the wilderness. Um, and then there's this whole thing with the crows uh, mm-hmm. and the ravens and how they're, yep. like, killing. They're in huge packs, and then... Elias uh, takes them to a safe place. Um, but Egwene is, I'm sorry, Perrin is considering, like, if the birds catch, catch up to us, I'm going to kill Egwene. I'm going to, so she doesn't have to suffer the same death sure. as these animals that were, you know, killed by these birds. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take her life. And they're just running and running and hoping they're going to get away. And then all of a sudden, there's like a lightning in the air. And. Elias is like, we're safe. And uh, and then parents like, ah, it does feel different. And then they realize that they're on a steading, um, which is where no Aes Sedai magic works and the, the power of the Dark One is not um, mm-hmm. as potent and the ravens like can't come in. Um, and this is the first time we're introduced to the Ogier lore that there's steadings like across the planet and they were special places where yep. um, the tree brothers or the Ogier, um, mm-hmm. you know, sang their songs and um, built up and Ogiers lived for like long, long times. Loyal is essentially like an 18 year old and he's 90 years old. Yeah. He's like a real young, co- he's hasty. <laughs> Just kind kind of like the Ents from uh, yeah. the Lord of the Rings. Like, don't be hasty. Don't be hasty. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they they there are a lot arrive of parallels the to Lord of the Rings in this first book. Oh yeah, yeah, there For are. Sure. Um, and so that so they're in this place, and so the Sidene is the female side of the true source, and Sidar is the male side of the true source, and Sidar has been tainted, and the way they described it in the book was it's like a pool of energy, but. Uh, there's an oil slick on top of yep. it. So every time, so the male source has been tainted and that's why men Aes Sedai who have died off for 3000 years um, have been feared because whenever they dip into the male side of the source to yep. do their magic, they're slowly going mad and yep. then they eventually go mad. Um, yep. I think it's flipped. Side- the Sidene is the male, the Sidar is the female, but yeah. Essentially. Oh, th- thank you. Um, yeah, people will be upset about that. I'm sorry <laughs> if I got that wrong. Um, and then, 
I think it's shortly after the steading is when they're being hunted and um and, and all this time like Perrin is learning more about becoming a wolf brother mm-hmm. and how he can communicate with the wolves and yep. um so they're being tracked by what they they learn is, is the uh the white cloaks and the children of the light and this is when the yep. wolf conveys to them that they smell rabid and they don't smell safe and then yep. the one wolf hopper um tries to defend Perrin and he jumps out of his shadows and takes the life of a white cloak and then they kill it uh and then Perrin goes bananas Berserk, and yeah. kills and kills two children of the light and then he wakes up like bound like more than a normal human should be like tied up in um yeah the general's like uh like camp with Egwene and then we meet child buyer who um is just kind of this like emotionless violent leader in the children of the light and he would love nothing better than to kill Egwene and um Perrin because they're dark friends. Everyone's a dark friend in his mind. There's also this suspicion in the white cloaks that if they don't know who you are, you're automatically like a dark friend or um yeah, which is, you know, they're like um, the like the classic like religious zealot or like everybody's of the devil and like you're all yep we need must cleanse the world kind of yeah and uh then they have like the questioners who like will apparently like just torture you until you tell them what they want you to say to them yeah uh, (laughs) admit you're a dark friend (laughs) yeah and we're gonna torture you until that happens which by the way apparently torture will make you say things that are untrue because you just want the torture to end it's um, true. So, um, and then, then Moran and Lane show up, or Moran and Lan yep. and Nynaeve show up and rescue them. And uh, I don't, I'm trying to remember what's, I think she used some kind of, she used some kind of magic to like, as like a diversion or something like that to get them away. Um, don't remember. I think the that there was, um, yeah, I think there was just the one like, bolt of lightning or something like that was the signal and Nynaeve yeah. was the one who went in and like freed the horses yep and and then well, she like she like, like cut really the ropes to like to very thin so that whenever the lightning struck whenever they then they would scatter and the ropes would all break I think that's what happened that was the diversion so then whenever the, all the horses scattered then they would be like oh I gotta get the horses what the heck and then that's when they came in and they got the got them out so yeah My and I love the uh, what's his um Nynaeve says about Lan, she was like, because he was a warder, I completely expected him to walk into a camp of 200 people and walk out with Egwene and Perrin, yeah. like giving no thought to like, how would that actually work? Like, how mm-hmm. would one person get in and get the people that they need and then get out of the camp? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was like an interesting like, because, yeah, I was kind of looking at Lan like, yeah, Lan can do this. And then I had no idea how he was going to do it. But I, I trusted him to do it. Yeah. You know, him and him and um, Moraine are because Moraine has an Angrial, which we haven't even talked about yet. The Angrial is uh, like basically an amplifier to the one power. Yep. So and the making of these were lost in the breaking of the world like 3000 years ago. So they're rare. They're very rare. And yeah. she was. And that's why she's so powerful and can fight the Trollocs and heal people and turn into mm-hmm. a, 
into a huge person who can step over walls is because she has the Angrial um, with her, which is amplifying her um, yep. native talent and ability with the one power. Yep. Um, and so now we have uh, everyone who is ready to go to Camelin. So the question to you, Tyler, is do we continue forward? No, I think, and I think do we need to cut because <laughs> this is we're pushing well, my record, it's a little little ahead because we started recording earlier than we actually started the podcast. But, yeah, we're at an hour and 20 minutes right now. So uh, I told we'll you probably three episodes, wanna, man. We'll probably want to do a wrap-up <laughs> um, here real quick. And then um, we'll so start we can bring the second Camelin episode. In at the, yeah, we'll do Camelin and the end of the story at, uh, in part two. And then depending on how far we get in that episode, well, we'll probably finish the story, but... Maybe we'll do a third episode on this book. I'm not sure. We'll Three see. episodes for we'll sure. S- we'll see. We may have to record another night because it's getting kind of late. Yeah. We'll no, see. I'm saying three episodes, but I think that like we do two tonight because I mean, first of all, this story is huge. Yes, and, it is. Like I said, like we are we are just getting into it, and we're having fun. I don't know sure. about you, but I'm having yeah. fun. Um, yeah. And um, so, I think, so we'll, I think we yeah we'll cut there end it. Yeah, we're gonna end this episode. We're going to. Um, well, actually, Camelin to end, to beginning. end, this is actually a good place to end because we just were talking about Perrin um, and uh, Egwene's kind of storyline. And one of my favorite quotes that I marked down in this book was from Perrin, where he said, um, "If he was the leader, then it was time to start leading." Um, I just kind of liked that quote because it's kind of it made me think of like, you know, leaders are not people who are born leaders. Like Perrin was not born to be a leader, but he was. Like leaders are forged and they're when they're put into situations where they need to lead, like that's whenever the people step up who are who maybe have an inclination towards leadership, but that's when like it's the situations that are around you that make you um a leader. Um like you're not just born and then like this person will be a leader when they grow up or whatever. Um so that just I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a good quote because like he's he he's taking ownership of the fact that he's the leader and he needs to be the one to make the tough decisions um, that could maybe potentially decide their fate, life or death, um, um, with a queen because you know he was going to make that decision like I'm going to kill her so she doesn't have to suffer like a painful death kind of a thing, like things like that and like you know he kind of made the decision to go in this sp- particular direction even though it was like way off. <laughs> um, but like he's, yeah. he's making the decisions that he th- feels that are best to help them um, in their journey. Um, and I think that's a sign of like him maturing as a character and like he's has to be the one to make the decisions and to, and to protect um, a queen. Um, Cause she doesn't like necessarily know how to do all the channeling of her power just yet. So like she doesn't, and she doesn't have a weapon and he has the ax. So like there's a lot of factors of like, him being in that um in that leadership position um and just you know maturing as a character um yeah so that was a good do you want to do uh i think you had a quote here as well did you want to give your quote and then uh that'll be the end let's see um i can save it for the next one got some time all right um and yeah we can we can come back to that one all right stay tuned to episode two to hear gabe's favorite quote from the book um, all right. So yes, next episode, we're going to do part two of Eye of the World. So we'll finish talking about the story and then probably we'll dive into a little bit of the um, the characters and stuff and talk more specifically about them as people and their personalities and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, so if you want more content from Pages of Light, you can go to our website, pagesoflight.com. You can follow us on social media platforms, um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, all those different things. You can follow Gabe at neighborhoodnerdservices.com. Check out what he's, what he's doing over there. And links to all of those things will be in the description. And there will also be a link to buy this book if you want to do it. I have this nice paperback here. And Gabe does the audiobooks. Um, but you can get all of those at the links below. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support us, please head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Um, so you can see the video version of the podcast. And also some of the other videos that um, that I've done. I haven't uploaded one in a while though. So been kind of consumed with the podcast um and like keeping up with all this reading so hopefully i do some more stuff in the future um you can also leave a five-star review on apple podcasts and um share it with a friend if you like this and you like wheel of time because we'll be doing some more wheel of time here in the future um yeah gabe any last thoughts the light illumine you good sir yes the light illumine you that's all i got Thank you for listening. Uh, Remember to keep reading, as always, and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And we will see you guys in the next episode. See ya.